Hi, welcome to the ProGrace podcast where we are having new conversations about abortion. My name is Angie Wesley. I lead an organization called ProGrace, and our hope with these conversations is that you would be inspired to have new conversations yourself, especially because we're in the middle of a very divisive election season. So um, we're going to have another discussion with the four ProGrace team members from last time. We have Denise Stein, COO. Hey, everybody. Lacey Mason, Director of Program Experience. Hello. And Krista Michelli, our Director of Marketing. Hello, hello. Hey. Oh, yeah. Good to hear you, Krista. Did you, Wait, Krista, did you do something different? Where are you? Um, I'm now in the shower. <laughs> It's too echoey. <laughs> I don't think that's good. <laughs> it's the only place she could go to hide from her dogs. What about now, guys? Perfect. <laughs> it's a little better. You, you know sounded what? like you were in a basin. Or, you know, or okay. Kind. Everyone needs keep... to calm down. <laughs> Spectrum's the real enemy here. I'm going to keep so... this on. I'm actually going to keep, we're going to keep rolling with this. So guys, oh, so in trying to have that. a remote podcast, we've had 35 minutes of things like this. And uh, was that your dog that barked and I said something? Oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> because we have things being delivered. But let, let's talk about the real miracle here. <laughs> We've spent 35 minutes trying to figure this out, and I don't seem to be on a massive delay right now. Awesome. So. Yeah. Yay. We just started. Lacey prayed a killer prayer. because I prayed in the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and I fixed your internet, so you're welcome. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be having you sprinkle some things around my house yeah. every morning. Yeah, yeah. Apparently my new gifting. <laughs> and Lacey, we're, we're a little loopy today, people, are, so this yeah, could be fine. an interesting podcast. Well, Lacey's in her closet. It, right with the correct door shut. with the door shut. Lacey yes. and Krista live in LA, where people live in smaller houses to be able to live in that glorious sunshine. So hey, it's it's life in COVID. It's like the real, the real. Uh, I can't even Reality. think. Thank you, Great. thank you, Denise, for finishing my <laughs> sentence. Which okay, let me tell a story. So before we we're going to jump in and talk yeah. about um, what's going on with the political debate, we're actually going to talk about Roe versus Wade and what would actually happen if that were overturned and the Christian response there. But before we do, I, I'm going to say I was a little disappointed this morning because I was like, "Darn, we got to record a podcast," and Denise hasn't had any. <laughs> confused idioms lately. And so as I was trying to set this up with my Roadcaster Pro and we're doing remote and everything, I didn't fully hear it, Denise, so you're going to have to tell it, but she actually delivered one just 30 minutes ago. So go ahead. Oh gosh. Just when you think I, I would run out of stupid, stupid misses. Here's another one. So I was talking to these guys saying, just talking about people who take a hard line, you know, and really are um, just really firm in a stand on some things. And I said, you know, it's like they um, put something in the sand, you know, like they put something in the sand and, and Lacey's like, put their head in the sand. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like with a pole, like with a pole in the sand. And, and she's like, you mean a stake in the ground? I'm like, yes, yes. Okay. A stake in the ground. Oh, so, well, thank yeah. you. That was providential <laughs> that we got that before diving into this serious conversation. Um, good. Because we're going to talk about that, actually. Um, we we're going to talk about putting our stakes in the sand <laughs> today. <laughs> Hopefully not our heads in the sand, which would be the easier thing to do, actually. But oh, okay. that's part of having these conversations. We're not going to do that. Um, so, you know, a lot of the Christian response to the issue of abortion is really wanting to see 
Roe versus Wade overturned. A lot of the focus is on the legality of abortion laws passed, um, Supreme Court justices being um, nominated by a certain president, votes for president. All of this surrounds um, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. So we thought we would just talk about that today. If Roe versus Wade were to be overturned, what would that mean for us as followers of Christ? What's our responsibility? What's our calling? What would that look like? Um, because it will shed some light on where our focus is and maybe where our focus could be to make more of a difference. So we're going to dive right in actually with a little exercise here with the four of us. We are all four women, in case anybody didn't know, which means we all four were little girls once. So guys, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? You know, I don't remember if I had something I wanted to be, but I grew up in a single parent home and we had different last names. And I remember my dream was to one day be in a family where we all had the same last name. Mm. That was just something I wanted so badly. So maybe it represented stability or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a a wholeness of some kind. But as a little girl, I remember being so envious of other families where the mom and the dad and the kids all had the same last name. Isn't that funny? Interesting. Yeah. That's what you want to be when you grow up, a same last name person? A same, I wanted to be in a unit (laughs) with the same last name. All right. And and you are. You might be the only one who actually did what they dreamed about when they were a little girl. (laughs) Exactly. Lacey, Krista. Lacey or Krista. Um, I was, hello, hello, hello. Yeah, we can hear you, You're Krista. There. Um, my name on this is Lacey, which yeah, I think is hilarious. Yeah, because she sent you that link. <laughs> no. Um, we know, we know it's you. That's great. I wanted to be either an attorney or a journalist. Ooh, oh, why? Nice. Why? Um, I think the common theme between both of them is that, um, you are advocating for the truth, theoretically. Yeah. yeah. Theoretically, I just got that. Yeah. And you would be, and you would actually be great at either of those. That's interesting that little Krista knew that about herself. Yeah. All right, Lacey. I wanted to be either a teacher or a doctor. Okay. You like to help Um, people, Lacey? (laughs) That being said, I think I only had awareness of four or maybe five different occupations that exist in the world. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely remember having a strong desire to either be a teacher or be a physician. Um, I think there was something, yes, helping people, but a, a particular kind of helping, which I actually see myself still desiring to do mm-hmm. today, which has has to do with um, understanding and um, like gaining understanding and perspective about either your world or yourself and kind of experiencing some healing from that. And so, um, yeah, that was, I don't think I understood that obviously about myself when I was eight, but looking back on it now, I can see that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's cool to see how those dreams were in us when we were young. I wanted to be a singer 
the most, you know, famous singer, of course. Um, I actually think of Andy in Parks and Rec. You know, that that was me when I was little. You wanted to be in Mouse Rat? No, I just, you know, I was like, I just want to be famous. So I first wanted to be one of the Osmonds, and I would play their records and then oh, sing yeah. with my little <laughs> And imagine That's that funny. Jimmy had asked me to go on tour with all of them. Yeah. And I was in love with Donnie for a long time. And then when I got more mature, I decided, no, I really just want to be Amy Grant like that. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, the curly hair. <laughs> <laughs> I still love Amy Grant. I, if she ever listens to this, hi, Amy. I think you're awesome. Um, but, but it is interesting because I would say then to my parents, I'm going to be a singer married to a pastor because I didn't see any female leaders. So that was my way to like influence in spirituality is I marry the guy who's the pastor and I would be the singer. So um, super interesting. But, you know, my high school yearbook, I did say... Um, that I wanted to lead a Christian nonprofit. Isn't that funny? So somewhere in high school, I, and now I am. But anyway, really little was the music dream. So ladies, this does, and to people who are listening, thank you for humoring us. You can, if you're a female, you can think about what you wanted to be when you grew up, or if you know a woman, you can think about this. Because here's the question that's relevant to our conversation today. Ladies, did any one of you ever think when you're thinking about growing up and what you wanted to do and be, did you ever think, okay, I'm so glad abortion is legal and I can't wait to have mine. Can't wait to exercise my right to choose. No, no. (laughs) Denise? I mean, that just, even the question sounds so funny because that's just not something that crosses people's radar and they're, you know, as they think of their future, their own, their own life path. It's ludicrous. Yeah, it's ludicrous. Even just hearing you say it is, is like, what a silly, what a silly thing, you know. Which is why I bring it up because I do feel like we need to stop in our tracks and start from that place. And when you're thinking about legislating against something, it is this idea that you are putting these boundaries around these people who want to do this wrong thing, right? And I, I think we need to stop and back up and say, wait a second, what's really going on with abortion? Um, it's n- nothing anybody ever wants or desires or can't wait till they grow up. So let's start from that place in thinking about what would it look like then if Roe versus Wade was overturned? Where do we start as Christians in trying to unpack that and what our responsibility would be? Well, I think even asking that question is a good start. I think as Christians, um, it's so easy to just be um, like single issue minded where it's like, oh, we absolutely just have to get this thing done. And we don't think through the full implications of what that would mean for our communities. Mm -hmm. And so even you posing the question of (laughs) what would it mean for us if this is overturned, I don't know that we're even at that stage culturally. Mm-hmm. And that that's, I think, the devastating and really destructive, um, I guess, posture that that needs to shift a little bit. Like, that's that's what scares me. And I've been guilty of it. Mm-hmm. I, I've bought the I bought into the rhetoric and I've bought into, you know, we just have to get these these policies passed or change. We have to get these kinds of people with these ideologies, you know, in the Supreme Court, um, and and haven't really trained my brain to think through the whole implications of what that would mean. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for women um, or even asking what's putting them in a position to need this service, like nothing. So I, I think that question alone is a really good starting point. Right. Because yeah. it's not like, oh, darn, it's not legal. I just won't do it. Like it doesn't change the reality of why she would think she had to do that in the first place. Right. It's not well, just right. a simple. I, yeah. I, I mean, I think the issue is we, um, we're, we tend to frame this in a way that's not probably the most helpful way to frame it. I think we, we look at, if you ask the question, what is the problem? And you say, well, abortion is the problem. We need to fix that. Um, that's not actually the thing. A- abortion is a symptom mm-hmm. of a, another problem. It's, it's just a symptom or a, or a way of responding to something else that is creating the need for that, right? Or, or the, the reason why it exists. Right. And so well, you have to... That's you, though. Like, you've done that research. That, that research was so eye-opening to me, and it still continues to be, where there's specific statements that women who you've interviewed made, um, like how stupid they feel for getting pregnant or how like isolated they feel. There's just so much data that you uncovered that just broke my heart. And that's just not the posture. Like approaching this from a place of being heartbroken is just not um that at least that's not my experience. My experience is, <laughs> you know, let's achieve a thing, not mm-hmm. um let's sit with the suffering of someone else. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to, if, you, if you're going to sort of isolate what the actual problem is, you have to look at, okay, well, what's going on around um, unintended pregnancy and what's creating the need for abortion, right? So, if, and what we've learned from the research is that um, finding yourself in that situation, you are all of a sudden in a whole new world in terms of how you understand yourself and the way that you exist and how you can move forward um, in this new world with this pregnancy. And you're looking at a couple of different things. And both of these things are missing in almost every situation where a woman is thinking that abortion is the only you know option that she has to help kind of recover this situation, right? There's two things that are always missing. One is emotional support. She's isolated. She doesn't have anybody who will walk this with her if she were to go forward with the pregnancy. And she doesn't have practical resources. You know, it's not a throwaway thing. If you're going to have a baby, you got to have a lot of resources. And so there's bigger, there's bigger things at play here. that lead to the symptom or the solution, which is the abortion. But the abortion itself is not the actual problem. Now we can, you know, it's a problem in that, you know, people argue it's not a good solution, fine, whatever. But (laughs) you kind of have to go back earlier into the story and understand what what's creating the need for it first. Right. And so I think that's a first responsibility, I would say, of Christians to sit with that. And if we think of pregnancy as only 
um, are maybe experienced. We were in a stable situation. We planned it. There were people around us supporting us. There's balloons, you know, picture the baby shower. We have to sit and understand that's not what it feels like for the women you interviewed, Lacey. And mm-hmm. to enter into a place of empathy, really, and that's the problem. When we just think about the law, then that conversation about empathy never happens. But really, that's what your research does. It allows us to put ourselves in a woman's shoes and think, if that had been me, you know, if I put myself in that same experience, what would that feel like? And could I for a moment understand why she might feel so isolated, um, panic, shame, like you found in your research, that abortion looks like the only option for her? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I always... Can I... Oh, go ahead. Oh. I was just going to say, you know, I always, you know, I just, it's like, oh, Jesus, if you were here, if you were here, you know, how would you navigate this? Because it is so complicated. We're not saying, obviously, that we want life to be taken via abortion. On the other hand, there's all these complexities, you know what I mean? And so it just, it brings me back to, um, why any kind of law or boundary was ever created. I mean, obviously, Old Testament on, why do we legislate things? Why do we have law? And it's supposed to be, you know, if we think of it, you know, from God's perspective, like a way to protect us and help us to flourish and to thrive and to be in the, in the best place. It's not supposed to be a a punishment type negative thing. And so I guess I just, I think of this with this, are we legislating in a way that's going to, uh, and do we have what's, what is necessary built around it so that um, it brings women and children into a place where they can be the very best and be whole and fully supported and all that? Or are we legislating in a way, kind of, it kind of reminds me of like, if you know, stealing food all of a sudden became illegal. Like, let's say well, it, it is, and then it became, <laughs> right, and it became, but let's say it, be, okay, it also, wasn't, and then it. Right. And you're crinkling too. I'm oh, just going to stop you there before all you right, give, because right, I want everyone to hear this story. This is going to be so okay. good. It's going to be good. <laughs> that yeah, we don't right. want any crinkling. Yeah. No, let's say like stealing food was legal for people who had no food. Okay. All right. And then it became illegal. And so, okay, now you cannot steal food or you're going to get your hand cut off or whatever. But, we're, but the, all those people who don't have food, there's, we're, we're not as a, as a society or community providing them food. Right. We're just saying you can't steal food. And that's your problem if you're going to starve. You know what I mean? Yeah. So do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like somebody fleshed that out for me. It's like, what are we trying to legislate, as, especially as Christians? Where are we going with it in terms of how God would put some kind of boundary before us for our own thriving and well-being. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that gets back to uh, what, where I was going with what I was saying in that there are ways to, um, there are ways to reduce the need for abortion that make it uh, less necessary in terms of a plausible solution for people, right? That have nothing to do with whether or not it's legal. Like you can change, you could change the need for it um, if you were supporting 
women and you were helping to create environments where where women felt like they had an option and could see a new uh, way forward for themselves um, by continuing in continuing the pregnancy, you can do that regardless of whether what whether abortion is legal or not. Right. So in some ways, the legality of it could potentially be irrelevant. Right. And especially, and Krista, I want to hear what you said, but I'll follow up this and then we'll go back to what Krista was going to say. Especially if you think, okay, no woman really wants to have an abortion, kind of like what we illustrated at the beginning. And that I think it's 65% of women who have abortions already have a child. They already are a mother. They know how hard it is. Um, and the vast majority of those who are, aren't mothers and are having them, they want to be a mother someday. You know, it's not like there's this <laughs> subset of women who just don't ever want any babies. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think when you legislate against something, we can stereotype and demonize the, the people. And it's like, no, these are women just like all of us. And had we been walking in their shoes, we would understand why this feels like the only way. When you take it into that human, like, this is just like me. And if I get into her shoes and understand, then I'm going to be more active with policies and things that can be in place to solve those problems. Because we're asking the question, if you don't really want to have an abortion, but you feel like you have to, why do you feel like you have to? And then can we step in and solve those problems? Because we have compat, instead of just thinking, oh, there's something wrong with her that she would want this, I have to just pass this law. Does that make sense? More saying, no, this is a human condition we all can relate to. If you feel like you can't survive or your child can't survive, <laughs> then this becomes a viable option, like you said, Lacey. But we can fix a lot of those things, making women think that. Mm -hmm. All right, Krista, I know you're, you're back like three people ago, but you did have something to say. Yeah, I mean, this is, again, I've told you guys, the, the way that we communicate um, as followers of Christ and what we don't communicate, you know, where we are just silent on issues, um, I, I think need a bit of a... <laughs> a rebrand of sorts. And again, that's just where my brain goes all the time um, is, is really thinking through the implications of our words matched with our behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to put more energy and effort into structures that support women. So with the same amount of energy that culturally, um, you know, Christians have put towards overturning Roe v. Wade, I would like to see the same amount of effort put towards in their communities who are really suffering um, so that there are safe places for them to go. Mm -hmm. And the church should be a place for that. But we've seen in the data that, uh, what, four out of 10 churchgoers have had an abortion. <laughs> like, and that's just the women. We're not counting... Um, the men in that statistic correctly, correct? They've been a part of right. this and issue. It, that statistic is four out of 10 women who have so abortions are church it's, it's goers holistic, at the time. It's holistic, I guess. Oh, sorry. I was just clarifying the statistic. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. So I guess, I guess, yeah, no, that's great. So I, I guess that, that statistic is just so striking to me. And we use it often as just a reminder of how, um, 
lonely it is, even if you're a follower of Christ, or especially so because of the shame um, and the the rhetoric Mm -hmm. that has been used around abortion in general for women in their communities. Um, So if you're in this situation and you're having to make a decision so quickly, you're getting it from every angle. You know, people in your family or maybe the partner, um, faith communities, like you're getting so many of these messages of shame um, and that you did something wrong instead of, you know, someone who you can pull up a chair and have a conversation with. And that that's striking to me because I think most Christians are introduced to the abortion conversation through politics, mm-hmm. not through Jesus. Mm. And man, does that not shift the way we have a conversation Mm. about the need for programs for women. So let's talk about that practically. What would it look like to approach it from Jesus? What are some practical things Christians can do to approach it from his perspective, not politics, if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting point you bring up, Krista, because it does seem and maybe because we're in such a heated political season that um, the focus for the Christian community, and I know this is a broad statement, is about overturning uh, Roe versus Wade and making it illegal for women to have an abortion. But we can't ever (laughs) overturn or make unplanned pregnancy illegal. Like that is going to happen in we just know that just we know it and it, it's so let's say roe versus turned is you know roe versus wade is overturned in, in the next year or whatever then what as a christian community then what are we about are we are we done have we kind of do we move on to a different issue um because women are still going to have pregnancies and still be in the same situation where they um, are not prepared and don't have the support and resources they need. How do we respond then? Will we respond? You know, do we do nothing? Like, kind of like from the Jesus lens, what would, what is he calling us to? Yeah. So let's talk about that. What are things we could do? What are things even Christians are uniquely positioned to do? Um, again, because think voting feels so practical, right? I can do it. And, and I think there's something, Lacey, you'd know more than me with your research in the human psyche, right? I got to feel like I'm doing something. But if we look to it from the Jesus lens first, like Krista said, not politics, what are some practical things we could do that would make a real difference for women and for children? I can say something that um, I've started doing is just being more open about um how I am now aware of that moment. I'm aware of the moment that a woman was in and the complexities and the pain and the suffering of that moment when she has to make a decision about her future and the future of, you know, a child that she wasn't anticipating having. And so I've been pretty vocal about it and I've been so humbled and just so um, heartbroken is the only word I can keep using of how many women in my own church community have privately reached out to me saying that they've had an abortion 
And they've never felt like the church was a safe place to even say that it happened in the past. Mm. And that's practical for me. Yep, It's practical to just acknowledge that I am a Christian woman and I want to hear your story without judgment because I understand through data that you likely experience shame, condemnation, and complete isolation when you had to make that decision. And I just want to make sure you have space to tell that story and be heard and feel the love of Jesus. That this does not define who you are. And I'm really sorry if you had to do that alone. Yeah. Because that's so unacceptable. Yeah. And I um, I want to say that's that's a practical step. It really yeah. is. And I want to just emphasize this. So from I've been working in this issue for 15 years. And it was at a pregnancy organization in Chicago, big city. And when we changed our language going into churches, into how we talked about this, and we brought grace into it and empathy, what you were saying, Krista, that's what you're ta- you're speaking with grace and empathy. Almost every time we spoke about it, people would come up afterwards and say, I've never told anybody in this church this, but that was me. I had an abortion. Now, this continues as we do the pro-grace training over the last four years in churches. When we bring the program into churches, that is one of the first things that happens. We've even had it happen in trainings and workshops. Pastors standing up saying, I've never told anybody this. I, we can't, well, I want to camp on it for a minute because it happens consistently and it's a huge part of bringing positive change from a Jesus lens. You know, Brene Brown talks about shame growing exponentially, secrecy, silence, and judgment. When you douse it with empathy, it can't survive. As Christians, we should be the most empathetic people because we understand the grace of God for ourselves. And if we realize that this particular experience, the vast majority of people hide it from their church family before they have the abortion. So those four out of 10 church going women who have abortions, only 7% of them talk to anybody at their church before making their decision. And then we see this anecdotally playing out. I've never told anybody in my church. What Krista is saying is if we would start as Christians doing what you're doing, Krista, if we could see this replicate in church after church across America and open up this conversation both after and before an abortion decision, that is a hu- that would bring a huge shift because we aren't even a source of help to women because they won't come to us. They don't feel safe to approach us. So that's a real practice. And that's why we're well, having this podcast of conversations, new conversations. Yeah. It's not just women either, like just in our faith communities, because on the flip side of being, you know, open-handed about, like, I know that Christians have been branded a certain way because of our behavior. (laughs) Like, it's not irrational for people to feel this way, but because of our behavior and how we talk about this issue as, you know, we only care about babies, not women. Right. And when you're open as a Christian, to acknowledge the suffering of the woman, you also get people who identify more on the pro-choice side mm-hmm. right? Um, saying, wait, I've actually never heard a Christian talk about the woman. Like, I'm very, I'm very curious about what you mean by this. And I'm like, well, what's hard is that we've all bought into this false binary that there's only two options in this conversation. And really, there's a third option. <laughs> that says women and children can both thrive Mm -hmm. in our communities if we start by acknowledging 
the woman first Mm -hmm. in the experience she's going through. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's common ground. So now you've got common ground by just speaking up and being a safe place. You have common ground with a woman who has experienced this before within your faith community who hasn't even felt safe to talk about it. And now she's hopefully gaining a source of healing just to be heard and loved. Um, And then on the other side, you have, you know, people who, who can experience what Jesus is actually like, where he's not afraid of messy stuff and he's not afraid of collaboration and having conversations. um, And he's not afraid of sitting with the discomfort and the discomfort in this issue is, can I sit with a someone who is pro-choice without letting my like dogma get in the way and really understand that we both want the same things? Could I, I do love, that? Um, That's love, the Jesus way. Yeah, I I love where this is going because it it uh, like you say, Angie. What could we practically do if if we as a Christian community could take some of our focus off just even for a little while to prepare ourselves for if Roe versus Wade was overturned, if we could take some of our focus off of just the legislation and the politics and start to ask, to hear people's stories. And then I think what's so powerful is to ask the question to women who have been a part of churches or not, whatever, to say, what could our church do? What could our church have been? What messages did you get here that made you feel like it was unsafe? What could we have done differently? How in your mind could we be a community where you would have felt welcomed? And if we could start opening up those conversations with each other in churches, I think that's going to break open huge barriers toward um, toward what we're, we're saying we want, which is for less women to make the choice of abortion. Mm-hmm. I hey, think, see, I know you have something to say. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do. Um, practically speaking, what can we do as the church? I think the first step is we have to look internally and we have to ask the Holy Spirit to show us how we as the church have contributed to the issue. Mm -hmm. The the church in a weird way has actually contributed to the need for abortion Mm -hmm. in that the amount of shame and, um, uh, just sense of isolation that women experience when they find out that they're unexpectedly pregnant comes a lot from the church. Um, to be pregnant out of the context of, uh, you know, kind of the quote unquote way that the church expects us to do it. You get married, you have sex, you have a baby, right? But there's all this other stuff that's going on that that we kind of like to look away from. The reality of it is, is that women feel a tremendous amount of shame when they find out they're pregnant and it starts there. And so we have to look inside ourselves and say, where am I not extending grace in this situation? 
um, am, am I holding, am I withholding grace because I feel like the sin needs to be punished? Am I withholding grace because, you know, I think that this sin is worse than some others, Mm -hmm. you know, like where theologically, where am I, right? Where is this getting messy, right? And we have to sit with Jesus and we have to ask the Holy Spirit to show us the way that Christ would respond to this, right? And so I think that the first thing we have to do is look internally. And the second thing that we have to do, um, I, I was just thinking about, you know, we were doing a meditation yesterday at ProGrace uh, with some of our partners. We were doing a meditation yesterday on the Beatitudes and we were looking at, uh, uh, we were reading through the message translation of it. And there's a line in there that says, when you get your internal world right, then you're able to understand the outside world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the way that Eugene Peterson translates that one line. And I, it hit me so hard um, as we were doing that meditation yesterday that when we get ourselves internally aligned with Jesus only then can we clearly see the way that he, we are called to respond to what's happening in the world outside of us, right? And so, so once we look inside, then we can look to our own specific church environment and say, how, how hospital is, hospitable is this mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. for women who need emotional support and practical resources, is this a safe place? What could we be doing? Um, who are we partnering with? All those kinds of things. Um, and then you can start to take some some practical steps. Um, but we have to also be willing to um, lay down the way that we think this should go to open ourselves up for the way that Jesus desires this to happen. Yeah. So for example, you know, we have to be willing to look at the big picture and the full story. Okay, let's say that Roe versus Wade gets overturned and a lot more women are not having abortions, which means a lot of women are experiencing pregnancy and a lot of children are coming into the world. What would they need? Mm-hmm. Probably access to health care. Probably, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it's, it becomes a much bigger story, right? Than just about this one act of legislation. Um, so we have to be able to open our minds to what Jesus is calling us to do, not through the lens of how we think the world should look or what we think we know about it. We have to let the Holy Spirit change us on the inside. And then we have to let the Holy Spirit guide us in terms of what we should be doing, um, in terms of how we support people that might look very different than what we thought it was going to be. Yeah. And I, I love where we're going with this because, you know, we talked about emotional support and practical resources. And so immediately we go to tactical, what can we do? And, you know, we have had so much experience with this, both on our own journey and seeing other Christians journey that what you guys are saying is it really is an internal journey first for Christians. And I'm going to give a practical exercise here that anybody could do. Um, but we do it all the time in our workshops and God always shows up. And that is spend some time in John 8 verses 1 through 11. So it's the story of Jesus and the woman who is um, brought from the act of adultery to Jesus. And if you have one of those apps on your phone where they can read it to you and you can close your eyes and listen to it, I highly recommend listen to that story one, two, three times. 
asking God to highlight anything for you and pay attention and write down because this is how Jesus dealt with a very similar situation when he was here. Um, And then the other piece of that is Dallas Willard has a great quote where he said, we have to read the Bible with the assumption that the experiences recorded there in the Bible are the same as our experiences would have been had we been there. And so we do that as an exercise too. sit with the with the passage as if you were there, as if you were the woman, as if you were the Pharisees, and let God speak about that. And what we found is that place of understanding the radical grace of Jesus, first for ourselves, and then in these, like Lacey, when life doesn't go exactly as we think it should, that's the shift on this posture, because I think what happens in this particular issue is it can feel like, and we think we've talked about this, I know I've got a lot messed up in my life, right? But I'm going to focus on abortion. Like, I'll feel better if I focus on that. And really letting God come in and reframe, saying we're all the same. Like like we talked about, we would be experiencing these same emotions. We'd have this same panic. We'd have this same. And once we get to that place, that allows much more of the practical support to flow. Because I really think we've asked this question, why has the church not been safe? Why has it been silent? And it really is the judgment. That's, you know, we are a perfect community to offer everything women and children would need. But the root issue and the biggest thing to solve is this judgment. So if we can take some practical steps to deal with that in ourselves, then I think we'll see God open up. He'll give us ideas for the more practical things. I've heard Denise actually, I mean, really in response, Angie, to you saying exactly what you just said, making sure that we're experiencing grace for ourselves so that we're not harboring our own shame and then projecting it onto this quote unquote unforgivable sin that we've taken upon ourselves to identify as the worst sin ever, which is so ludicrous. But Denise, your response has been something um, in the past that I've also learned from, and it's just a gut check for me, or where you've said before that we've kind of taken on this role of doing the judging and like this weird kind of truth telling to point out people's sins um, and forgotten what God, God has actually called us to be responsible for. Yeah. And that's so convicting to me because I think we have traditionally created um, just permission to judge others and to, you know, these be these bearers of truth mm-hmm. <laughs> of, you know, really just calling attention away from our own sin and our own shame and putting it on somebody else. And it's, that's nowhere in the Bible. Yeah. Jesus never called us to be that person, right? Like, yeah. that yeah, we, I mean, I, it's so I, crazy. I love what Lacey's saying about, I think if we, as his his children, as his people, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us anew, through the gospel, through John 8, through other places and spaces in the gospel where Jesus was our true example. Um, he does reveal uh, what he's asking us to do, and it does help us define what we are, in fact, responsible for. And yeah, are we responsible to legislate uh and do nothing else. So again, back to my example of we told people that who are starving, you cannot steal food. 
okay, but as Christians, are we responsible to provide Mm -hmm. for needs as well? I mean, um, and and it's all in the gospel. This isn't stuff that we're making up as pro-grace. This is Jesus and what he's asking us to do. So, um, yeah. Do you rest your point? I rest my point in uh, the sand with a pole. Okay. So there. Nailed it. (laughs) Oh, you guys, this is so great. And I tell you, you know, and this is the thing for us too, as a team, we get frustrated, all this stuff and, and this angst comes up and then it does happen when you turn your eyes to Jesus, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, that's, that's the thing for Christians to do. Um, it's funny that we had, that we comes back to this, but that is really practical. And I, I think it's time for the church to understand this is practical <laughs> to turn our eyes to Jesus and ask him to open, open up new ways of thinking about this. So thanks you guys. Any closing points to be rested before we uh, say goodbye to everybody. <laughs> awesome. I think we all need to rest. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to everybody for joining us on this. And hopefully it's been encouraging to think about ways, um, again, to practically engage, to invite Jesus into this conversation. Hope you're inspired to talk to somebody, start a new conversation about abortion. Thanks for being with us. <laughs>